Kick the jukebox, it's so much fun. Kyle and Louie are number one. Kick the jukebox, kicking a rhyme. Talking about music all the time. Oh yeah! Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Kick the Jukebox. I'm Louie Perlman. And I'm Kyle Gordon! <laughs> oh my god, Don Pardo! Yeah, I was really nervous whether I was going to pull that off, but... Um, <laughs> Alright, I am roaring back. Each week we're getting... Alright, we're, we're, we're kicking, we're kicking. That was a good one. I'm Here very, we go. I'm very impressed. And, uh, and you are not easy to give up uh, compliments for my intros, so that, that, that means a lot. It's true. You know, I feel like I'm, like, pretty giving when it comes to a lot of your other creative pursuits, <laughs> but I'm a real hard-ass <laughs> when it comes to specifically your, your voice intros for this podcast. Well, I've been workshopping it for the past two weeks, so I'm glad I pulled it off. Yes, and <laughs> your workshop time was well spent, Kyle. I'm very yeah, yeah, impressed. Yeah. Did a lot of focus groups, um, got a lot of feedback, so... Uh, yeah, I, the people have spoken, and um, glad to hear it went well. You're ready to take over for Chris Parnell when he's done yeah. doing. Or what's the, isn't it the new, what's the new guy? It's what's his name? The guy who used to do Clinton. Who yeah, like, had Chris, me nervous. Is it, oh, is no. it Chris Parnell? Do, no, doing I thought it? it was. Um, I thought it was Parnell. No, it's. Um, I'll think about it. But yeah, yeah it's we'll the guy figure who it out. Bill Clinton on who used to do Bill Clinton. Yes, that's right. That's right. No, no, you're totally right. Uh, yeah, it's not Denitra Vance. I wish it was, but it's not. <laughs> this is Kick the Jukebox. This is your favorite musicology podcast where we Daryl Hammond. To it. That's right, Daryl Hammond. That's right. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> we go into a deep dive uh, of an album of the week. This week we are covering Yola Tango's Electropura. And we are joined for a very special guest. We'll get to that in a second. But in the meantime, please follow us on social media, rate and review us on iTunes. You can find us if you look up Kick the Jukebox. You can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook. All right. Uh, I don't want to wait any more time uh, introducing him. Uh, he is a writer for The Spool, Rebeat Magazine, which is sort of one of the ways that we met, News Cult, and he's also the founder of the B-movie review site Analog Scum. Let's give it up for Liam Carroll. Hello, Liam. Hello, Louie. Hello, Kyle. Howdy. <laughs> Great to be here. Yeah, we're very happy to have you. Uh, we're lo longtime friends. You're yes, a yes. super smart music dude. Oh, shucks. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're looking forward to getting into this Yola Tango record with you, which was, which was your choice, which we'll, which we'll talk about a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. But before we get into that, we just want to talk about a little bit, what have we all been listening to over the week? You know, how are we doing? These are such interesting transitional times. Liam, why don't you start us off? Uh, you sent us a very cool little playlist earlier this week. Yeah, why, why don't you talk about it for a little bit? I tend to overachieve in ways that are completely uh, low stakes and don't really matter <laughs> at all. Yep. So you guys asked for what I'm listening to. I made a playlist. And basically the gist of it was like, uh, it's, you know, it's summertime. The degrees are, are getting up there. To quote the song Smooth by Carlos Benton and Rob Thomas, uh, it's very hot outside. <laughs> oh my. Basically, like, this time, around this time of year, I like to kind of find music that sort of reflects that kind of, uh, I, I, I tend to call it like sort of mellow psychedelia, I guess. Yes. Way to describe it. Sort of uh, music that kind of feels like it's melting, but in a, a positive way. Yep. 
Does that make any sense at all? It um, does. I, I would also describe the album we're going to talk about most of the tracks in that way as well. Oh, actually, yeah. yeah. So let's see. On this this playlist I made, I got that's like I got well, I got like some some big stuff that's coming out this year, like like the Phoebe Bridgers record. Yeah, I'm really into uh, the new from the Jewels album. Yeah. Uh, very poignant and timely right now. But aside from that one, I just want to kind of drift off into a, a little summertime escapism. I've been listening to like a uh, little Jonathan Richmond here and there. Sure, that summertime uh, feeling. Uh, yeah. Exactly, yes. Yeah, some uh, Mojave 3, who are like a, a post-slow dive kind of uh, more country-ish project from from that, that group of folks. You got uh, this really great band from Scotland called Modern Studies who are really worth checking out they put out a record this year a really awesome japanese band named uh, i really hope i'm pronouncing this right uh kigaku moyo nice are really really dope so yeah just like stuff like that i've been i've been i've been looking for a little bit of a little bit of escapism this t- around these days so uh totally understandable yeah <laughs> what about you kyle I kind of went the opposite way for what I'm going to talk about. I have been writing a lot of comedy with my brother, writing sketches, and we kind of doing this thing and challenging ourselves to write like a topical political sketch, which we both hate. And it's Mm -hmm. not in our nature to do either political sketches or topical sketches. Uh, As a result, we wrote a, uh, if you know, Joe Scarborough from Morning Joe, the, the, like CNBC news show. So he has a band and he plays of course a he lot. Does. And he was on like a few years ago, he was on Colbert. And so we wrote this sketch kind of about Joel Scarborough's actual band called the independent council of funk, oh which my God. is pretty much just like CVS brand Elvis Costello. And it's really bad. But <laughs> if you want to know what I've been listening to partially, it was his 2017 EP mystified. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that sounds so wonderfully disposable. I can't can't recommend it and I won't. Yeah. <laughs> this is like, uh, that's so funny. This is, uh, it's almost like going anti music podcast to be like, I can in no way recommend this, this music, but I do <laughs> encourage you to listen to it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Cause I know if I hadn't said anything, I know all of our listeners would be chomping at the bit for the new independent council of funk release. So I had to ca- caution them against it. That's yeah. quite the name. <laughs> I know. It like sounds like a pair like the it, everything about it is like a parody. Yes. Of itself. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh my it, god. It's about time that the uh, Independent Funk Council was subject to some uh, UN regulations. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> People who have no right making music, like uh, is, on the scale of like uh, like the James Dolan, like Mike. It's literally just thinking of that too. How he like has opened for like whatever, like the Eagles and Super Tramp at Madison Square Garden or whatever. We've covered that on the show before. Yeah, we we've did talk to some about of this that stuff. Yeah, right. <laughs> if you wanna, if you wanna backtrack, if you wanna look into stuff. Very <laughs> true. I was going through a phase recently where I was like, sort of like, you know what? I think I'm kind of, I've been too hard on the Eagles in recent years. You know, know, I'm 33, I'm starting to kind of mellow out a little bit. But now you saying that, I'm I'm right back to just... (laughs) That's, it's interesting you mentioned the Eagles in that 
light because it actually connects to what I've been listening to this week. I just watched the two-part Laurel Canyon documentary mm. that came oh, out this year. I liked that. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was beautiful. Yeah, I really, really, really enjoyed it. And I, I'm all alone in my apartment right now for the first time in months, having like solitary time for the next few weeks, which I'm loving. Nice. So I'm just sort of taking the time to be quiet and contemplative and get, get some work done. So watching that was hugely inspiring. And it ends really on the story of the formation of the Eagles as basically as them meeting and playing as uh, Carly Simon's backing band. And then going from there. And I really love a lot of the music from that period, especially the early stuff. Yeah, totally. You know, which we've covered a little bit on the show before. But I feel, you know, is worth talking about a little bit here. And it makes me think we should be covering a little more of the sort of earlier Laurel Canyon stuff because I've been listening to some early birds this week and really enjoying diving back into the birds and a little bit of Buffalo Springfield. And then, you know, I'm a big fan out of all those bands. The one, and this is weird, I don't know why this happened for me, but the one that I have really the most like album knowledge of is Love. Yeah. Uh, who I think just are so wonderful and were a huge influence on Yola Tango. And they okay. covered them too, yeah. Yes. One of their first singles was a cover of uh, House is Not a Motel. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, it sort of connects to that. But then the documentary does end on the Eagles, and I'm really trying to look at the Eagles in a positive light. Yeah. And actually, total nice... I had a really nice interaction with Glenn Fry. Really? Uh, yeah, because I used to teach his son. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. And uh, he came in, uh, I used to teach his son in sort of this open, like, computer studio program I used to help run. Uh, like, Did he live in New York? Yeah, they lived in Tribeca, yeah. Oh, so maybe about five or six years ago, and his son was lovely. His son was great. He died, right? Didn't he yeah, just recently he die? Yeah. He died just a few years ago, and yeah. Glenn came in a little bit and was just, like, a, clearly a nice older rock and roll dad so i've always tried to give the eagles a pass but i have a really hard time listening to them as well i have a really hard time with them yeah there's just there's a little bit too much of a softness to them i'm just waiting i mean i haven't like mined their catalog deeply but i i'm just waiting for someone to be like this is the forgotten eagles album that's actually super awesome and nobody paid attention to it but yeah, um, and hopefully we'll have speak, them on the show. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want to. I want to be. Con- I think we're all in agreement. We want to be convinced. It just hasn't happened yet because what we've heard is not that good. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like the the the, the odd, Like I can't think of a band where there are less odds of finding some diamonds in the rough. Somewhere. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. Right. It's hard. Right. It's really hard with them. I do like the song that they sing for the credits of the Warriors, but hmm. you know, I digress. Yeah. <laughs> Late Later 70s e- Eagles soft rock. Before we get into Electro Pura, I just want to say, if you're enjoying what you're listening to, instead of throwing any money at a Patreon for us, or uh, any Venmos, what we would love is for you to look up a Black Lives Matter charity of your choice and give a little bit of money to that in order to support what's one of the most important civil rights causes of the last, I would say, 50 to 100 years of US history. And something that my podcast partner on my other podcast, XOXO Riverdale mentioned, that I think is a great thing to bring up is If you have any other sort of charitable cause that uh, you're interested in, such as like 
issues around issues surrounding economic inequality, education, or the environment. Very often, those issues affect people of color disproportionately in this country to other people. So you could look into supporting one of those charities as well and making it a, a cause. Uh, and that would be a great way to support us on our continuing mission to bring very important and very geeky music discussions to the masses. <laughs> so that being said, here we are. Yola Tango's Electropura came out in 1995. Uh, Liam, I'd love to ask you, you were really excited about talking about this record. So I'm wondering maybe what your relationship with it is, the first time you heard it, and why, why it's so important to you. You know, it's funny. Well, for, first of all, for me, Yola Tango is sort of the closest thing I have to like a Grateful Dead. They're, they're sort of my dead as far <laughs> as far as that goes. Like they're they're my like my big all consuming musical obsession. You know, mm -hmm. um, mm. I've seen them 23, 24 times, uh -huh. something like that since 2005. It's just one of those things where like I was and I was trying I was anticipating this question. So I was sitting back the other day trying to think like 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 how did this all get started you know like where where does this this unabiding love for this band come from and i really thought about it and i think what it really ties down it, it comes down to a few things first of all uh, the reason i chose electric pure is because or there's a number of reasons but the main reason is that it's the album it's the first album i listened to by them you know in high school i was getting really was when i started getting really into like indie rock and stuff like that i used to go on back on the Back in those days on Amazon, you could go and listen to like 30 second clips from songs. And that's sort of like how I would determine like, oh, what's what album can I get by such and such band? You know, for some reason, the 30 second clips on Electropira pulled me in that direction. Part of the reason that it turned into such an obsession for me is I, I think around the time I got this album was also around the time that I got my driver's license. Mm. Ah, sure. Crucial for the development of anyone's taste. <laughs> I never got my driver's license, so that's probably why my music tastes are so Yeah, that's why you have no trash. taste. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, um, so yeah, I think like, like really my memories of this bit, like I can put on like this record and sort of the other records from this era of the band and um, I'm just sort of immediately taken back to sort of driving around the suburbs of New Jersey, um, like summertime springtime just like you know the the sunset the smell of the grass just you know it's just a real like ties into like some really really beautiful sort of sense memory type thing for yeah. me that's a big reason why i've sort of stayed on that train for so long and also the new jersey thing i had never found a band that came from my own home state that sort of spoke to me in the way that i wanted music to speak to me i mm -hmm. On the cover of the album, that's the state flag of New Jersey to the very left. Mm -hmm. uh, uh. So I was sort of like, you know, I knew that they were like sort of based out of Hoboken and all that. And so I was like, you know, that was sort of another big reason that kind of drew me to them. And so, yeah, no, I think it's just like they're one of those bands that like I can just put on anytime. Like, you know, I'll, I'll never grow tired of listening to their music. I, I always find something new you know they always they 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 make they make it's music by sort of obsessive nerdy people for obsessive nerdy people mm -hmm. here's a here's a question what do you think they capture about the sort of unique experience of growing up in new jersey that you think you connected so so strongly to 
That she wasn't is- captured on Slippery When Wet. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, yeah, I definitely wasn't living uh, Tommy and Gina's lifestyle. It's pretty- <laughs> <laughs> an interesting question because actually none of them grew up in New Jersey. Sure. You know, you know none of them are, are Jersey natives, but they, you know, they they live, you know, they they sort of their home base has been Hoboken since basically since they formed in the early '80s. I don't know. It's just like there's. It's hard to just like people have such a an ingrained sense of what New Jersey is. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's really negative. A lot of it's you know they have this very narrow picture of what the state is. I think they just sort of and you know a lot of the music that comes or the well known music that comes out of New Jersey sort of reflects that more sort of hard scrabble sort of blue collar like you know Springsteen singing about working at factories, Bon Jovi singing about you know. Tommy and Gina down by the docks mm-hmm. or whatever. But like <laughs> yeah. so there's just something about the like the their music, just like the sound of Yola Tango, aside from just like their music, just like the way the guitars sound and the way the all the instruments kind of interact with each other that just evokes like the a different side of New Jersey, the side that like I'm familiar with, the side that I grew up in, the more sort of bucolic side of New Jersey. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not called the Garden State for nothing, you know. It's not <laughs> all, it's not all like refineries outside <laughs> of New York Airport. It's you know, it's it's it's. It's a really, it's a, it's a lush, beautiful state, and I feel like their music really somehow, man, even though they're based out of Hoboken, somehow really manages to sort of capture that feeling. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that Jersey as a place is sort of one of those well-kept uh, American secrets. Yeah, in that it really is so multifaceted, and there's so many different experiences, and I think that it's led to a lot of really interesting different types of musicians uh, sort of, you know, using their music to explore their relationship with the state. And I'm not saying that Electropura is a direct comment on, you know, their relationship with the state, but definitely it's so clear that there's such such a sonic influence there. You know, something about it, you know, so... This sort of, I think, goes back to the the roots of Yola Tango, which, as I say, for our listeners who may not be as familiar with Yola Tango, they were formed in 84 by Ira Kaplan and Georgia Hubley, who are husband and wife. And then by this point in the band's history, they had started working with the bassist James McNew, who became really instrumental to their sound at this time. And Before before then... um uh, bassists for Yola Tango were kind of like drummers for Spinal Tap. Yeah, they would come and go, right? Didn't they work with yeah. like 10 different bassists before James they worked with James? James was their 15th bass player. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is interesting. Yeah, and, and they definitely, when they were trying to form their band, listed a lot of like post-punk and psychedelia influences, which the band is a good combo of. Some of those influences which overlap with my own and some which don't. They, every year, do these famous Hanukkah shows that are eight nights of like a residency at, uh, sometimes they're in Jersey, right? And sometimes they're in, sometimes they're in Manhattan. It used to be at Maxwell's. Yeah. In Hoboken every year. That was sort of the tradition. And then Maxwell's uh, closed, Maxwell's right? Maxwell's closed. Yeah. Well, 
It closed briefly, then it got reopened by some yuppie assholes, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> for a while they won't. So for a while they weren't doing it, and then in recent years they brought it back. They've been doing it at the the Bowery Ballroom for the past past couple years now. Yeah, and, and uh, of fairly recent, I think within the last ten years they convinced, and I think this is just an example of the kind of music that they get giddy over. So I think it's worth noting, they convinced the Strange Loves to reunite, who yeah. are a 60s garage rock band who sang such huge hits as I Want Candy. <laughs> uh, but it's important because I feel like, and correct, correct me if you feel differently, Liam, but I feel like what Yola Tango do really effectively is take those modalities of songwriting and sort of push them through a real kind of like dream pop, almost shoegazy mold. And they come out the other side as being something that's almost unrecognizable, but is if you're listening for it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I definitely agree with that. Especially this this era of the band before, like when the first record that they all made together as a trio with Ira, Georgia, and James was a, the album before this, Painful, which is a, pretty much a, at times a straight up shoegaze record, kind of or more like a dream pop kind of record. A really uh, heavy guitar stuff, very very sort of dreamy textures. But when you move past that, you can tell that these are people who really understand sort of classic pop song craft, and um, you know really have are, have studied to a a really almost dorky degree the just like mm-hmm. the, what what goes how to put together like a, a perfect sort of uh, pop song in a lot of ways but they just have warring almost like avant-garde tendencies and these sort of the sort of restless the sort of stylistic restlessness that sort of allows them to be really chameleonic at the same time like you know they, they managed to you know they, they would get more adventurous uh, as they as they went on but you know the one thing i really you know one of the main things I love about the band is that they are totally unafraid to try out so many different styles, but at the same time, they always sound like, like Yola Tango. They don't sound like anybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, even, they, even during their myriad of covers that they, that they've absolutely. done over the years. Yeah. 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 They don't do, they don't do pastiche, you know, they always make it their own thing. Liam, I can't remember, were you at the show that I produced and was in where Yola Tango performed? <laughs> Uh, no. <laughs> what? What are you talking, what, what? Yeah, so <laughs> in, tw- I think it was in 2014 or maybe 2013, I was uh, doing, producing a show at the People's Improv Theater called Beauty Love Truth with my good friend Shannon Manning. And it was uh, musicians performing their work and then improvisers would do scenes based on the musician's songs. And... Uh, Georgia and Ira owed Shannon a favor, apparently, because Shannon had done some work with that for them in the past. And I'll let, I actually really don't know the details of that story. So I'll <laughs> leave that for Shannon to tell on cool. whenever she wants to. But yeah, they did a show with us where, yeah. yeah and I couldn't remember because I feel like you had been to other Beauty Love Truths, Liam, maybe back I, I in the day. I think the one with Doug Gillard. Yes, yeah. That one. And, and, and you know, and, and Georgia and Ira just sort of came in and out. It's not like I had a lot of hangout time with them. Oh, sure, but yeah. But because, you know, other people who were in it 
at the time, you know, we got to know them a little better, which was really wonderful, you know, like definitely uh, like Mike Doty, you know, I was friendly with at the time because of his connection to Beauty Love Truth and Bob Duro, who was a, mainly a jazz musician, but wrote a lot for Schoolhouse Rock as well. Mm. He did, I think he did two shows with us, Bob Duro, and he was lovely. But the way that you describe Georgia and Ira and Yola Tango as a whole as sort of these like unassuming, somewhat geeky guys who clearly had an encyclopedic and huge love of music and just sort of wanted to express that to the world was conveyed through the show that we did with them as well. So yeah, so I'm sorry that you missed that, Liam. I'm that sounds amazing. It was great. It was awesome. Yeah, they did three songs. I remember that one of them was a cover, which was lovely. However, do I remember what the cover was? I do not. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so uh, let's let's get into uh, let's get into talking about Electropura a little bit more uh, in detail here. This album has a lot of different tones to it and songs that are at a lot of different paces. Kyle and I both ended up choosing sort of more kind of soft ballady pieces. Yeah. And then you chose like a really good exemplary rave up of the band. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But before we get into our individual songs, I just want to say that like there is on this album, for those that want to deep dive longer into it, more into it after they're done listening to this podcast, there's some really good tight examples of pop in here. There are songs that are kind of strange, almost like synthy, surfy songs on this record as well. And uh, we're not going to talk about them. No. <laughs> we can talk about them a little bit, but, uh, but you know, we ended up uh, choosing the three songs that sort of touched us the most. And I'm excited to talk about them. So let's get into talking about Pablo and uh, Andrea a little bit. This was yours. Why did you why do you choose this one here? Yeah. Um I think yeah, as we've kind of discussed, there are so many different directions or, or so many different um elements of this album that you can latch onto and get excited about in different ways. One, I mean, just the song in and of itself is such like a sweet little sad, sweet sad little pop ballad and so it's just really nice to listen to in and of itself but one i thought it was a nice is kind of a uh, an interesting part in the album where the sound does shift because 
you know, at the beginning, you get a lot of different elements. You get sort of that dronier element early on, and then you get this comes pretty much right after Tom Courtney, which is like their most poppy, like '90s, like big pop song. Yeah, you know? that was a big single from the album. Right, which is a great song. Yeah. Um, and then I just think the tracking on this album highlights each stylistic element really well so i i was just really kind of struck with how well like this this album plays really well front to back in in order and i thought coming off of tom courtney then it goes into this like minute long song called false ending which is just kind of a like a droney electric guitar jam for a minute and then Mm -hmm. it like de-transitions into this song and then i guess was the last thing it was kind of the first song on the album where I think just in terms of the production, there's like more space as opposed to kind of the like hitting you with like a wall of drone and guitars and stuff. So it was like, it kind of caught me by surprise and it was just like a really sweet, nice song. Yeah, yeah. And it, the space I think allows for that guitar solo at the end yeah. to really be prominent and shine. And it's like very, very good, interesting guitar work there as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. During my yeah. El Geeko researching about this song, I learned that it's it's actually named after some some real people. Did you did you, you knew this Liam, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about this a little bit because it's interesting. And Kyle, did you know about this? No, no, I didn't. Yeah, so this Pablo and uh I think it's pronounced Andrea were the children of the photographer Robert Frank and Andrea was killed in an airplane crash. Mm. Uh, And then it sort of led uh, Pablo to unfortunately a life of uh, drugs and mental illness. And just the year previous this album coming out, he uh, unfortunately commits suicide, I think while he was in an institution. Mm. So yeah, so I feel like this is kind of an interesting low-key very somewhat like guarded and obtuse song that's a bit of a a call out for like you know uh, it's sort of it's sort of like maybe a bit of a mournful Mm. kind of you know funeral like respectful funeral like song i don't know what do you think about that liam no i think i think basically you described it as sort of um obtuse what was the other word you used I said mournful, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, well, it's sort of obtuse. You sort of described the band's lyrical style to a T by calling it obtuse. Yeah, they, this is definitely a band that benefits from a lyric sheet. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> yeah. And they're, they're also very, very guarded about what their lyrics mean. Yes. Which I feel like they sort of have to be because just by, by feint of having a, a married couple in the band, a lot of times people try and sort of interpret mm. the lyrics as sort of being about... Ira and George are writing about themselves, which they are usually pretty hesitant about as well. So yeah, you know, it, it could definitely be about uh, Robert Frank's children. I mean, it could just the title could just be like a, a total coincidence. I don't know, but because um, mm-hmm, they've never you know, flat think, out come out and talked about it, right? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure Georgia. You know, George. George's parents were big artistic figures themselves. John and Faith Hubley, very interesting couple they were experimental filmmakers and animators they made a lot of famous commercials in the 50s and 60s they won academy awards uh they created mr magoo yeah. uh, oh, uh, 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's so it's, fascinating. It's not, I didn't know they created it's Mr. Not, Magoo. It's not impossible to imagine that they would sort of run in sort of the same circles as like, you know, Robert Frank. So it's it's it's, it's totally possible. Yeah, no, I just I, I was really I was really glad that that you picked this song, Kyle, because I feel like it's sort of an um, an underrated gem of theirs. Like mm. uh, it, it's sort of become sort of my white whale as far as the live experience goes. Mm. It's like at this point I've seen, I basically, I've seen them so many times that every song I wanted to see them play live at this point, they, they have mm. for this one. Really? I'm waiting to see them play this one live. Cause I really like, the, it's just like when the, when that like slide guitar comes in yeah. mm. about halfway through, just like that sort of mournful, slide guitar part that only lasts for like a, a couple seconds like i just I, i'll never forget hearing that for the first time and just being like oh my god that's like <laughs> like that's it like come on and i, I can't I, I imagine it must be sort of somewhat influenced as well by the fact that this is the first album they recorded in nashville yes um yeah that that's what kind of drew me to it too is it has a very subtle like folky country kind of foundation i mean it's yeah. not overt but like it's there yeah, yeah. a very eagles like foundation <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah they're the eagles of the 90s for yeah. sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and then this is actually maybe a good time to have a bit of a bigger discussion about this this band does require this isn't a this isn't a band that's particularly direct musically no. And uh, lyrically, it's not either. And that leads to, you know, a lifelong, you can have, you can derive lifelong pleasure from getting new things out of these songs, which I think you certainly have, Liam. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the thing. Like you can, you know, if you just want to take these songs as sort of catchy or interesting songs, you can, but they, like I said, they are, it's, they are obsessive people who, like the d or into the details and they leave those breadcrumbs there for us obsessive fans to catch up on if we want to you know like for example i'm glad you brought that up because on the back of the of the album on the cd and the lp version each song has like a weird little description underneath it I just play like these weird non sequiturs like for example for pablo and andrea it says underneath it it says the music can really drag it out of you if it says something. <laughs> <laughs> Which definitely shows that they have a sense of humor about themselves, for yeah, sure. And, I, and, I only, and my favorite one, though, is for um, Attack, Attack on Love, the second to last song. Underneath it, it says, one of my favorite instruments, the electronic flute. <laughs> Which is not on that. Which is not on that song. No, just for our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I only found out recently that they got those quotes from a long out of print um, book about the blues project. Oh, very cool. <laughs> Even more notable is the fact that this totally blew my mind the first time I heard this album. They have the times listed next to each song. Like yes. Length, and they are all purposefully wrong. Yes. yes. They're yeah. all wrong times. None of the times match up at all. And the reason they did that is because they felt like people were sort of dismissing the longer songs just just based on the fact that they were just longer and they weren't giving them as much of a chance so they thought they thought like okay let's tr basically trick people into listening to longer songs so you know i just I, you know it's it, they, they 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 reward 
paying attention, basically. Yeah, yeah, and and that's sort of, it's an interesting distinction because I think that people generally discredit longer songs when they're masturbatory. And definitely I would say that this band walks a fine line where they could be considered masturbatory, but there is such a reward to be listening to them over and over again that I wouldn't put them in that category. But it's sort of interesting tracing the types of music that we've covered on this podcast because we generally really shy away from stuff that has you know, that's, that feels bloated. We're not that into that. And I don't know, Kyle, do you feel like, like there's certain moments of this album that feel like that to you? Or do you feel like it, like this album works for, for other reasons? No. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. I, I was really like, and I think, I mean, we're going to talk about it, not to jump the gun, but like Blue Line Swinger is a great example of like that, patient build and like explosion and the dynamics of the song are all serve the song and i think that's a like kind of a phrase where you it, like it has to serve the song uh but i think they do a really good job here combining some of their more like dronier or avant-garde tendencies with like a- again as we said like there is a a foundation of like pop song craft that is like yeah. makes it all um, work, but but again, with that like gimmick of the wrong song titles, like I am the one they're trolling, like one hundred percent, like they totally. Like, it's good, like you know, like uh, I feel that's both of us that we're like, yeah, ah, we've talked this about song's it. eight minutes. Fuck off, like, <laughs> yeah, 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 right, exactly. <laughs> like, so I'm grateful to be trolled. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I agree. Let's get into it. Let's listen to a little bit of "Don't Say a Word." So this was my choice here, and the this, it's interesting. I know that the term dream pop really refers to a really, not this type of music. This is not dream pop. But to me, a lot of the stuff on this album, and this song in particular, it sounds like songs that almost have a structure, but don't quite have a structure, and feel like they came to conception during like moments of being half asleep and being half awake uh, while you're kind of just sort of beginning to reform your thoughts and that's that's why this one really spoke to me because it's like clearly 
lyrics about uh, a relationship. It's a very, it's a very conflicted song. It's sort of torn between leaving someone and staying with someone, and feels like it's maybe about the actual like physical act of sharing a bed with someone as well. I would argue. But it's doing it once again in a way that's obtuse, which we've already talked about. So, whatever. I don't know why I'm bringing it back up. But, <laughs> but, but it feels like it in itself isn't resolved in what exactly it's trying to say about these subjects, and it in itself is a work in progress in terms of, in terms of, in terms of those thoughts and that content. Yeah. No, I think that's a really astute observation. Talking about sort of how it sort of feels like it's being formed sort of subconsciously or like sort of um, in the moment, which is sort, which is really sort of the case for this whole album if you, if you read up on it. But in the past, like, you know, Ira and Georgia are definitely kind of, they'll, they'll admit this, they're sort of type A's a little bit and they tend to kind of over-prepare on their older stuff. But once, once they got comfortable with, with having James in the band and being like sort of the you know, fi finally finding like that third perfect missing piece of the puzzle in the lineup. This is the first record where they were like, they said, you know what, let's just, it doesn't matter if we go to Nashville and don't have any like full songs ready. Let's just go to the studio and just like see what happens when we get down there. And uh, that's sort of the approach that they've taken on every record since then. So this is, this is sort of, yeah, it's really sort of the first instance of them kind of letting go and sort of just, Letting the letting the the muse take them wherever they will or, or however you want to. Yeah, this is this is it. laying down the template of their process that then they used for a really long time to come. Absolutely, and also you get another nice shout out to Nashville in the title of the song, and the parent the parenthetical hot chicken number two. Yes. <laughs> which is they have three different songs with the parenthetical hot chicken, right? On this <laughs> album. Uh, that's a, that's a Nashville. Is that, is that just a Nashville chicken dish or is that a chicken place? It's, it's a Nash, it's like a, a Nashville chicken tradition. It's sort of a, yeah. a manner of preparation as my, my partner, Sarah, who's in the background can, can tell you, uh, it is no joke. It is, <laughs> it is the hottest. We, we got like <laughs> mild, the mild version of it, and I, I thought my head was going to burst into flames. <laughs> it was, it's insanely hot. Um, it's at the same time, it's delicious too. Sure. It's like it's sort of this really pl pleasurable pain. Just <laughs> <laughs> like a gross way to describe food. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's true. And um, you know, they if you if you you know the the band sort of pride themselves on being sort of foodies, being sort of finding out of the way sort of local cuisine. That's sort of one of their favorite things to do when they're on tour. Really, like sort of deep cut local. Yeah, so of course you know they're going to be drawn to to hot chicken. I'm I'm assuming they probably went to Prince's Hot Chicken, which is sort of like the the place you go to if you're in in the know about that type of stuff. Mm. Are there other songs or albums that are based on their food obsessions that we should know oh, about as well, less thinking, big fans? Well, the I mean, actually, one of my favorite songs of theirs on the next album, I Can Hear the Heart Beating, is one which is sort of considered to be their masterpiece. Yeah. Um, the opening song is this beautiful instrumental that sort of has a bit of a 
dusky alt country vibe to it. Sort of makes mm-hmm. it a little bit kind of like a surf rock guitar lead. And it's called Return to Hot Chicken. Like, so they were, you know, they knew. They were like, time to go back to Nashville. You know what that means? <laughs> that hot chicken, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, they're, clearly they were so excited about hot chicken they needed to mention it on this yeah. record and then again and again on the next record yeah i think that's great and i mean it's and the, the, the title of this album i don't know if we want to get into it but oh yeah 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 the soda the defunct yeah. soda talk yeah. about it yeah, yeah. They had one day off while they were recording the record so like anyone would when they have a day off in nashville they decided to go to the uh beverage container museum yes <laughs> they're natural and they found this long out long since discontinued mexican soda pop called electro pura and they were like cool name let's use that as the title <laughs> yeah. and it is, it is sort cool. of a, a good name for this style of music on this album as yeah. well yeah <laughs> yeah they added the uh yeah hyphens yeah the dashes are of uh, i think i read of uh editorial uh they were edit an editorial choice exactly. <laughs> which, is, which is great and, and, we're avoiding a loss <laughs> and, and i think that's something that really makes this band work is their own sense of humor about themselves yes yeah there's a real warmth to what they do yeah and i think the warmth comes from the entire attitude that they approach and I, I read in prep of this episode, and I think it's it's kind of dead on, someone saying that this doesn't feel like the meanderings of uh, like pretentious musicians. What it feels like is the playfulness of a bunch of musicians enjoying each other and hanging out. And I think that there's Absolutely. a big difference there. It, it, you just need to kind of sit and listen for it. Absolutely. I would totally agree with that. So speaking of meanderings... <laughs> Let's listen to uh, some of Blue Line Swinger. And for our listeners at home, you know, due to uh, copyright issues mainly, we really only feature like a minute or so from the songs and then we talk yeah. over the rest of the songs. So I'm going to choose a portion of the song for us to all listen to together with our audience that like really kick when it really kicks in. Because I yeah. think that that transition is is sort of at the heart of what makes the song so interesting. Yeah. But this is one to seek out and listen to all the way through because it is, uh, you know, more of an involved piece and is not, you know, uh, going to be particularly representative in a one minute clip. <laughs> so with that being said, here's a little bit of Blue Line Swinger. the song or so 
and it hasn't yet coalesced into being the structure that it really reveals itself to be as it goes on. It takes its time. It does. Uh-huh. It takes its time, which is which is awesome. So this is a a re- pretty regular set closer for them, correct? It, it's definitely in the rotation. Yeah. Um, if you if you've seen them live enough, you kind of notice that they tend to have a certain number of they they like to do longer songs sometimes. At sure. least every album has at least one or two songs where they really stretch out and sort of just ride a, ride a groove and go nuts for a while. And so they tend to kind of have those sort of in the back pocket and they'll sort of swap them out for as like different set closers. So, you know, you wonder what the set's going to say, like, oh, am I going to hear, I heard you looking for the set closer? Am I going to hear past the hatchet, I think I'm good kind? Am I going to hear the story of Yola Tango? Like, you know, I feel like this one they save for like really special occasions because this song is sort of the closest pick, a, a consensus pick for the band's best song ever. Uh-huh. Like, pe- you know, people love t- different types of songs. Some people are more into the ballads. Some people are more into the more sort of pop indie songs. But like, I feel like this is sort of one song that everyone can agree on. You know, this, this song sort of has a bit for every every different type of Yola Tango fan. It's sort of the oh. it's sort of the uh, platonic ideal of a Yola Tango fan. <laughs> sure. In such a thing. Like it's you know, it just it's just it's just so monumental but so intimate at the same time and so sort of ramshackle but like at the same time really it's almost like this is such a weird metaphor, but like you know how in Men in Black they had like the, the galaxy in the little, the little like thing on the cat's collar, like the little <laughs> marble or whatever, like a gallery of a marble. This is almost like what that song feels like to me. Like whole, whole galaxy inside of this tiny little self-contained thing. Like it's just the way it just keeps building and building, and like it, the 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 it just with these simple patterns at first, it suddenly starts to get more and more complex the tempo starts to build and then the vocals come in around like the four minute mark and then there's this really great noisy solo that's sort of like the classic ira kind of like uh the drink the people some people compare like his stance when playing guitar to like a, one of those drinky crows like uh-huh. or, sort, yeah. or sort of like or sort of like the one of those flailing like uh tube men outside a car <laughs> like you know sort of this like crazy noise rock just like super shreddy like atonal sort of almost free jazz kind of solo style he has and then just like oh man at the end when it when when georgia's vocals turn into like the the bop bop ba like that part like it's just like when that every time that kicks mm-hmm. in I, I get like so almost like weirdly emotional it's almost just like you know it's so pure just like letting just like Words, you know, words won't suffice anymore. It's pure music kicks in. It's yeah, like, we've never talked about that on this show. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure, joking. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. And I think that structurally, one of the things that's so joyous about the song is the way that it seems to sort of like start in a really messy, almost like bands tuning up place. Yeah. And then it's kind of coalesces into being a real like tight jam and then kind of and then allows itself to explode into this joyousness at the end of it yeah. right it, it really does take you on on this journey and it's and it's like and it's a very hopeful 
this is a very hopeful song. Yeah. Comparatively to some of the other lyrical content on the record. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm willing to hold your hand while you're lost. Uh, I will find you there. There's that line, the blue line's possible with reality, which I think is a really interesting line and is so betraying in a good way of their psychedelic roots as well. Yeah, totally. You know, where we, we know what that means sort of, intrinsically feeling wise although literally that does not mean anything you know <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah such such an incredible release yeah and and hearing this song live like how how do you feel about hearing a song live how does it compare to is this your favorite closer of theirs is this your favorite long song of theirs to hear live probably i mean yeah actually my favorite long song of theirs is one that they almost never play live uh-huh it's called uh, night falls on hoboken it's the final track on uh, their album and then nothing turned itself inside out uh-huh. in 2000 which is a much more quiet sort of uh dreamy nighttime kind of very intimate record i did get to, i did finally get to see them play it live like two years ago they actually opened their set with it which is crazy because it's like 18 minutes long great record but <laughs> but you know, this one like they they really let the song stretch out in a live setting you know when, when i've seen them do this song it, it can go for like almost 20 minutes sometimes like they really they really uh stretch out like the beginning part of it it sounds a, a lot more sort of free and ramshackle and um it'll start like the with the drum the drum pattern at the beginning is a lot slower a lot of times when they do it live and ira's sort of uh adding some like sort of freaky noise kind of stuff over the the intro as well before like his more the more structured guitar stuff comes in so it's like they really uh they give the, they give the crowd their money's worth let's put it there yeah yeah mm. there are no there are no slouches when it comes to a live 75 minute long version of the song yeah exactly <laughs> exactly so i think i want to end this has been such a fruitful discussion Something that I think is so interesting about these guys is they're described time and time again by different types of people as being a band that is a favorite with music critics. Yeah. And although this is, at its core, a criticism podcast, and although, Liam, you are a very smart music critic, no. I would... I would yeah. <laughs> I would say that your love of this band really transcends that of criticism to a place of pure fandom. And I'd love to ask you, yeah. what do you think differentiates a critic from a fan? Kyle has so much to say about this. I can. Well, tell. I, I also want to piggyback off this, so you're getting hit with two massive questions. So Great. that question you're going to have to contend with, and then also I just wanted to ask you, as such a big fan, they are not only the quintessential like critics band, but they're also the quintessential like cool kid indie rock band. You know, like, you know, if you're in like a hipster like frozen yogurt place like you're gonna hear like pavement sonic youth and then maybe like autumn sweater sure so, like where yeah. where do you like where do you see them as like a like a really big fan like fitting into and maybe distinguishing themselves or maybe transcending that label or that world oh wow yeah, you got hit with two. Then you guys saved the softball. Bombs. Yeah, 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 for the end of the conversation. Yeah. Um, well, to, I'll, I guess I'll answer. I'll try and answer Louis's question first. What separates um, a fan from a critic? My first inclination is to say that there might not be a difference. 
really much of a difference. I mean, ideally, a critic gets paid to their <laughs> opinion. Mm-hmm. Ideally. That's, that's decreasingly the case these days, which is why I'm no longer a, a full-time freelance writer. But Sure. Um, it's, it's tough to say. I'd say, I mean, I'll, I'll just speaking solely from my experience, I feel like when it's, it's being a fan... It's sort of like being a jet in West West Side Story. Like when you're <laughs> when you're a jet, you're a jet all the way from your first cigarette to your last dying day. And that's how I feel about this band. You know, they've made records that are not as acclaimed, that are, you know, some people would, would say are not their their favorites and kind of been forgotten. And critics will point those records out, no problem, but I always find, even on those records, that there's something to admire about them, you know? Yeah. Part of the reason I chose this record, not that it's, like, under-acclaimed, because it's not at all. It's sort of like, the, I picked this record in part because it's the one that's sort of least talked about from their sort of golden era. Mm-hmm. From, from Painful to And Then Nothing Turns Itself Inside Out, where they were sort of just, like batting a thousand each time out you know this one is sort of the one that's seen as the more sort of transitionary record i guess you could say and for me when i look at like the big picture of like a band discography or a director's filmography i find myself drawn to those sort of red-headed stepchildren i guess the ones yes. that don't get as much recognition the ones that are seen as more sort of um, sort of like stepping stone works or you know transitionary works so i feel like you know that's you know we could have easily done this about uh, summer sun which is like regarded to be like probably their weakest record with you know the the, the you know the today the classic lineup or whatever and i would vehemently defend it it's has a great side a the b side's not super strong but there's some great songs on that record and i feel like it gets dismissed outright but that's a whole other story what i'm trying to say is that i feel like a true fan will always look for the positive side to even the most sort of ignored or derided parts of an artist's oeuvre you know and, and also this is, sounds like this was the one just to flip back to electro pura that was the one that got you into this band Oh, so, you know, the the first love is often the deepest, you know, for sure. sure. So wh- where do you think these guys fit in terms of sort of that cool kid band hierarchy that Kyle is insisting is real? No, I'm kidding. But, <laughs> yeah, you know. I um, mean, they, they're, at this point, they're kind of the ones who made it, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Pavement isn't around anymore. Mm-hmm. Um you know, they did the reunion tour a couple of years ago, and a lot of people I talked to, actually, when I saw them, I thought they were great, but they were, a lot of people I talked to were really underwhelmed by it. Uh-huh. Sort of reminded, reminded people, like, in the 90s, they didn't have a reputation for being a very good live band. So, mm-hmm. but, you know, I mean, they made classic albums that I love. And, sure. Uh, but, you know, they're not, they're just, they're not around anymore. And, um, you know, Sonic Youth imploded in a pretty embarrassing uh <laughs> really awful, predictable kind of middle-aged way, which... Uh, what could they have done? <laughs> the dark side of having a married couple in your bands. Um, yeah. 
And um, so, I mean, at this point, Yellow Tango, they're sort of the last band standing in a lot mm. of... I yeah, mean, and, they're, and they're stalwarts, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. yeah, they're total stalwarts. They're still challenging themselves. They're still clearly super engaged. They're always trying to find ways to make unique experiences that excite both them and the fan base. I mean, their most recent record is one of the most obtuse, challenging, sort of way different records that they've ever put out. Uh-huh. Um, so they're still, they're still trying to break new stylistic ground. They're still, you know, they're, they're, they're clearly still in it to win it, you know? Just based on my like very limited personal interactions with Georgia and Ira during that show, yeah. something that I can say about working with them is they struck me as very calm and very focused yeah. and very uh, easygoing in a way that is not the case with a lot of other musicians that I worked for, worked with on that show and yeah. just in general. And yeah. they're not particularly extroverted. They're not like shy, total within themselves introverts. No. But they're not super extroverted performing type musicians either. Yeah. And maybe it's sort of that balance that's allowed them to continue to grow and stretch themselves, I would offer, uh, as, a, as, a, as a team, you know, both as a, as a couple that has to remain married and also remain artistically active together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I imagine you learn to pick your battles a lot better. At the, you know, they've been a band for, what, 36 years now? Sure. And active consistently. It's not like they really had that many hiatuses either. No, not at all. Yeah, so it's not like they've taken breaks. Yeah. They're, they're a hardworking New Jersey, Hoboken, <laughs> somewhat uh, dense, psychedelic, <laughs> uh, uh, long, long-term indie rock stalwart band. Yes. Oh, man. Well, Liam, this has been such a pleasure. This was a blast. I, I, I'm so thankful for you guys for having me on. I'll always relish an excuse to talk about this band. <laughs> and I'm just, you know, I can, for, for a change, you guys are basically, you're also doing my partner a favor, by the way. So I'm not <laughs> talking about Tango Facts at her. <laughs> She's giving us a thumbs up via the Zoom just for our <laughs> yeah. listeners, yeah. <laughs> which is very funny. And we'll have to have your partner on uh her name is sarah uh soon on the show actually because she has some really excellent well thought out taste in music as well so yeah she's also she's giving a thumbs up and a wave as well great (laughs) (laughs) well this has been another episode of kick the jukebox thanks again to our wonderful guest liam carroll for being on thank you to yola tango for being awesome that's silly. I've never done that before. <laughs> uh, and, you know, as we said before, please, you can follow us on social media. You can rate and review us on iTunes if you enjoyed this discussion. And you can donate to a charity of your choice if you're interested in supporting the podcast. That's the best way for you to do that right now. For now, I'm Louis Perlman. <laughs> and I'm Kyle Gordon. Wow, really normal, Kyle. Great. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see you around like a record. Talking about music all the time.